people get it hooked on this business because it's like you're in the happy business. Like you're doing something that people love, you know? Like you make a great pizza for someone that reminds them of their childhood or like, you know, a long lost food memory. You know, they give you a hug, say I love you, you know? Absolutely. It doesn't happen when you're like selling someone insurance, you know? From Pizza Czar at the beloved Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, to roaming international pizza consultant, Anthony Falco has had quite the interesting career path, especially over the past three years. You want to start a pizzeria and need some professional help? Better call the Millennium Falco. The story of a pizza consigliere for hire. That story, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome to the show, everybody. Great to have you back with us. Uh, really interesting interview this week. Um, Anthony Falco. He's not a household name, but he certainly is well known within the pizza community. Um, Falco started out as a, as a web designer as all pizza makers do when he was a, a younger man in high school and college. Um, he had a Belgian pomme frites shop and a music venue in Seattle, both of which failed, he says proudly, which of course taught him a few lessons about the business. Uh, he moved to New York City right after that, and he met the guys who would eventually open Roberta's in Bushwick. Um, and he really became what he called the pizza czar there from, from day one for several years. Um, and then he was moving out to L.A. on behalf of the company. He was going to be opening up um, a Roberta's out there, but uh, there was a falling out, difference of opinion, as they would say. And that led to a full-time freelance opportunity for him. Um, in just the past three years, Falco has consulted on pizza projects in Brazil, Colombia, Panama, that bastion of great pizza, uh, Toronto, London, and Charleston. And currently, he's got projects underway in Argentina, Spain, Australia, and India. Quite a, quite a diverse assortment of pizza places there. Now, we met at Upside Pizza in Midtown Manhattan. That is at uh, 8th Avenue and 39th Street. And it is the rare slice joint that uses a sourdough starter and a dough that is 100% naturally leavened. Now, the pies take up to 72 hours to prep from start to finish, and I just love their Sicilian squares topped with low-moisture mozz, breadcrumbs, some Sicilian oregano, and parm. And you're going to hear Anthony refer to someone a couple times named Gnome. That's Gnome Grossman, the founder of Upside who later took me downstairs to the tiny kitchen uh, to show me around and, and how they were sautéing mushrooms all day and, and prepping their dough in various stages. But um, the podcast today runs a little bit longer than our normal shows, partly because we occasionally would veer off topic, say, to talk about potassium bromate, an oxidizing agent in flour that Falco is vehemently opposed to. He also takes issue with a few pizza writers, including yours truly, um, in a very... Well, in a sort of respectful way, for the insistence on categorizing or codifying pizza styles. And I'm going to let you all decide for yourselves um, what you think about his criticism. But we started at the beginning with Falco's first pizza memories as a kid in Texas, the grandson of Sicilian immigrants. Well, actually, I was born in Austin, Texas. I guess that's really where I started. Um, with pizza or just in cooking? 
Well, yeah, definitely that's where I started with pizza as far as like loving pizza and eating pizza and growing up in a house with pizza. So what kind of pizza were you growing up with in Texas? Uh, my great-grandmother is from Sicily. My, um, my entire dad's side of the family is from Sicily. Came in through New Orleans at the turn of the century, like with a bunch of other Sicilians. Um, and so were they making pizza like in the square pan uh, with oil, pushed it out like the grandma style, or Sicilian like overnight with a proof, or, or was it just like this kind of round definitely pizza? Definitely grandma's doing grandma style, man, like for real. And it was like served as like a side dish, you know, vegetables, pasta, there'd be like big meat dishes, but there would also be pizza and you would have that as like a slice. My dad used to talk about the ones you used to make when he was a kid, which was just onions and anchovies and like breadcrumbs and pecorino. And then did you go to culinary school uh, after Austin? No. no, I grew up in Austin, graduated from high school barely, and then uh, just was going to go to college. I was going to go to New York, um, but it's just expensive. Didn't have any money. Family didn't have any money. Moved to Seattle, started washing dishes at a place called Garage, doing prep work. I started cooking at this pasta place. My dad lived in New York when in the 80s, he, my parents got divorced, he moved here. And so I started, you know, I remember the first time I had like really mind-blowing pizza was when I went to, it was called Patsy's then. It was then later called Grimaldi's and is now Giuliana's. Under the Brooklyn Bridge. Yes. And that was the first like kind of like mind-blowing pizza besides like the pizza I grew up with. But I mean. But that's a great introduction to New York pizza. Yeah. Yeah, to real pizza. And then we would just go around the city and try slices everywhere. It was like a fun thing to do, you know. Back in the era of all the rays everywhere? Yes, definitely. So this would be like late 80s, early 90s. Okay, and then you somehow got connected with the guys starting Roberta's in Bushwick, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had a restaurant in Seattle. It was a French fry shop, and uh, I used to make, like, fresh-cut French fries in in, like, the Belgian style. And I left that in Seattle, and I moved out here to New York in, like, 2006, 2007, winter, and, uh, and started bartending at a place called the Royal Oak. And then, yeah, that's where I met the guys from Roberts. They are like, oh, we're starting a pizza place. And I worked there from, like, the first week uh, on and off for, like, nine years. So tell me about that pizza style. I, it's, it's wood-fired. It's kind of neo-neapolitan artisan though it's not the super super wet middle or you, you explain what, what, what was your thought yeah i mean that? we were just making pizza and i think the the like the thing was that you know they had this old oven from italy wood-fired oven and there was a commitment to try and using the best ingredients that we could get our hands on and like that didn't necessarily always mean importing everything from Italy. So there was, I don't think there was never an intention for it to be a Neapolitan place. Not even, I don't think there was even an intention for it to be anything close to Neapolitan. I think like Chris Parikini, whose mom is Roberta, I believe his inspiration was more like New Haven. Oh, okay. And if you look at the early days of those pies, like baked, like no, not a lot of charring, like very long, slow bakes. Cheese was very melted. It was not like fresh globules. I mean, it was fresh mozzarella, but it was in there for a long time. But using really good <laughs> toppings, like where you're curing meats and really kind of make, taking more artisan Started approach. Started to, yeah. Like, I mean, just trying to figure it out. You know, I mean, I think in those days it was before like you open a restaurant, everything's gotta be perfect because someone's gonna come in there and Instagram it. It was like literally just 
there was days when no one would come in, you know? And then the Times wrote about it, I think, and then all hell broke loose, right? Yeah, 25 and under. And then it was like you started seeing people coming from Manhattan, and you started seeing people coming from other parts of Brooklyn, and then like... Because Bushwick, I don't know, back then, it was far away, or probably maybe it still is, but it, it was far from yeah, like the I center. Mean, I started working in Williamsburg in like 2007, 2008, that around that time, and like the first time I went out to go check out Roberta's when it was under construction, I was like... Pfft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were good luck. There is like still like burnout cars on the street and like the good old days. Yeah. So so you're there for said, eight or nine years and then what happened? You you started consulting? That's what I'm curious about. How did you get into this? Because I look at your Instagram now, by the way we've got a couple of Instagrams, there's Millennium underscore Falco and Rad Times Pizza, I guess sort of two different personalities. But one time you're in Bangkok, and then you're in Brazil, and then you're in I don't know, Iowa. How, how did this all start then after Roberta's? Well, I hadn't. I didn't have a plan, man. You know, like I was just. I, I was in Los Angeles, like just like I had driven out there with a wood-fired oven for the early stages of like, you know, moving, uh, starting the Roberta's Los Angeles thing, and there was just like, you know, kind of a disagreement of where the different directions, you know, where it was gonna go, you know, and like I had already been bought out at that point, along with everyone else. Um, and it had really been consolidated into people that had like kind of different plans for the future, you know, like so just I found myself with no uh, no plan. Okay, so like thinking, that was my life plan, you know, it was Roberta. That was it. Okay, yeah. so then all of a sudden you're forced into kind of a freelance situation, right? Yeah, I mean, I was just sitting there like, you know, trying to figure it out. And I did like a job interview in like Silicon. First thing I did was like some I posted like, oh, I'm not in Roberta's anymore. And people just started coming to me on Instagram, right? Like everyone, everyone, ever, a lot of people in the industry knew. It's nice about social media, right? Because you, all of a sudden you get the word out there, it doesn't cost you any money yeah. just to post a couple things. What year was this roughly when this was happening? Uh, that was like three years ago. Oh, that's relatively recent, okay. I think uh, it was, yeah, it was like 2016, so it was like 2015. So you, put the word, so you put the word out there, people start reaching out to you, and then you and get. Then I had like a job interview with this like uh, company that makes pizza with robots in Silicon Valley. Sounds interesting. No, it was horrible, dude. Oh, okay. God. Cutting edge technology and pizza, no. Well, that's, yeah, that's probably how they raise the money. Yeah. I can't really say who this is. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I was like, oh, God, I don't want a job, especially for people who, like, don't care about pizza. I mean, this right. is, I was, in, I was in, I used to be a web designer. I was in the, briefly in the dot com. And, like, it's just about money, you know? And, like, I, I like restaurant businesses because... A bit more soul, more heart, more well, sweat. Definitely not about the money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, you yeah. do it. You're in the right. hat. You like the people, like you people get it hooked on this business because it's like you're in the happy business. Like you're doing something that people love. You know, like you make a great pizza for someone that reminds them of their childhood or like, you know, a long lost food memory. You know, they give you a hug, say I love you. You know, absolutely. That doesn't happen when you're like selling someone insurance. You know, <laughs> or like whatever all these people do in these towers and stuff that are surrounding us in Midtown. We are surrounded by a lot of glass and steel. Yeah, I don't know. So, what. so what was the first consulting gig then? The, the official pizza consult, besides this tech thing that didn't work out. What was the first? Oh, so yeah, I had the interview and I was like, oh, that's terrible. So then I just drove home to New York because <laughs> I had. I had driven out to LA to do the Roberta's thing, and so I had to drive home. <laughs> and uh, a long drive. Yes, yeah, nice yeah. drive though. Um, and I had a lot of time to think. Um, but yeah, I started talking to these guys in Brazil, who uh, the Bras guys, and 
you know, I just got really lucky to hook up with them because, you know, I had done a pop-up down there with Roberta's and uh, we did a, a pizza Roberta's night in Rio de Janeiro and then we did one in uh, Sao Paulo and I just was like, wow, dude, it was so cool. I mean, Sao Paulo is like a whole different pizza universe, you know, it's like they call themselves the pizza capital of the world. It's like they have more, they're only, New York's the only city that has more pizzerias than uh, Sao Paulo. It's like, oh wow, it's a massive history, old 90 year old pizzerias, like 100 year old Italian bakeries, huge Italian population. It's like huge pizza culture. And these guys own like 15 pizzerias and like 30 other restaurants and bars, like super, super, super professional operators. And they reached out to me and they're like, look, we have this new concept called was uh, they didn't have a plan they didn't have a name for it yet but they were like we want we're thinking about using these electric ovens so we want you to come down here and cook a pizza in these electric ovens and so i flew down there and i made with my starter because um, i had to make a new starter after i left my starter that i had made for roberta's i let them have it and i made a new one and i flew down to sao paulo with my starter and i made this pizza and i was like kind of nailed it like right off the bat in the electric oven and, and we did it in this electric oven and it was awesome and everyone was just like this is awesome and so we kind of built this brand around me it's like it's you know if you look at this and like my pizza like history so it was like the idea was like what i did with roberta's and what they did with brazilian pizza they wanted to kind of blend those they call it like mixing the dna of the two yep. to, and then putting it in a wood oven and then like all the crazy illustration stuff that I did that got incorporated in the brand. And, you know, these guys really just like believed in me a lot. And it was really a big confidence booster. And, you know, it was also was great about it is they were so they're so professional and they're so on. That they were able to like open this restaurant in like 90 days. So like it went from me going down there and being like, hey, I'm testing this pizza thing to like opening. 90 days later and like it was super successful and so people saw that and it was like oh I'm gonna hire this guy like right. and it just started the stuff just started coming in I mean it was not it was few and far between at first um, now it's been a steady stream of it as I've seen on Instagram now I'm, fu I'm fully booked you know that's, I mean? that's great well listen we're taking a quick break here uh, okay. when we come back we're gonna keep talking to Anthony Falco we're here at Upside Pizza though in Midtown and we're gonna try some of the pizzas here that he helped create and consulted on uh, when we come back and we're also gonna preview some scenes for our next show coming up in two weeks so stay with us Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're here with Anthony Falco um, at Upside Pizza in Midtown Manhattan. And uh, Anthony is, uh, as we talked about in our last segment, kind of a pizza consigliere, a consultant now, going from Brazil to America to Bangkok. Um, but tell us about Upside. Uh, I know there's a piece in the Times about a month or so ago about this place. Uh, this is not your typical pizza joint, slice joint, because they are really going the extra mile here using an all-natural starter to begin with, right? I got approached by Ellie and Oren, uh, who are the owners of Two Bros. Which and is kind of a everyman pizza place, right? It's kind of a sling I mean, It's a dollar. It's a dollar, right. Okay. <laughs> Let's I don't want to leave it there. All right, so they run this. They know what they're doing. Okay. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's, you know, they try to make the best pizza they can for a dollar. I mean, right. 
it's a pretty amazing thing for people who have to live work, live and work in the city and can't afford that. <laughs> so, so they wanted a lot of people. So they wanted to do something beyond so that. So they feel like, yeah, they feel like they shook up the pizza world a lot, you know, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And the middling places used to just like, they were cutting the quality of the ingredients and then loading, giving you, so this was like the dark days of the Ray's era that you referenced earlier, right? So you're getting lots of cheese, but it's not very good. And yeah, you're paying $3, but you're getting this like a lot of bad pizza. So like they were like, look, we're going to use the best ingredients we can and we're going to it's very like lightly topped sauce and cheese wise. Yep. And it's a, you know, it's a same day dough rise it, and it's a dollar. And like it's a value proposition. And then you know, Joe's had never expanded until that dollar slice thing happened. And then you have the same thing people that survived that era thrived. Joe's and like, you know, like a, the Staten Island places are expanding, like, you know, Joe and Pat's. Yeah, like you've got uh, Supremo over here is doing great business, you know, like the people that were selling you shit for $3 are gone. I want to be on the top end too. And so they were like, just whatever you want to do. So I was like, well, first thing I want to get this pizza oven, the Montague, because it's amazing. <laughs> it's like, Super amazing. And why do you like that over a blodget? Uh, I mean, nobody makes them like this. This is fully stone lined. I mean, there's stones on the bottom, side, top, back. All right. This, the BTUs in this thing is like probably like five to eight thousand more than your standard Baker's Pride. Um, you know, it's, and that what promotes that a lot of crispiness. It, it's pulling moisture. It's more porous, or what? It just holds you know, heat better. I don't know, man. Do you cook pizza? No. Okay, well, let me try to explain it. Um, when you put a pizza in an oven, there's different kinds of heat. Like there can be like sharp, like heat that's like hits it all at once and then fades away. Or there can be this like really soft, I mean, what it is is it's a thermal battery, right? Okay. It's a poor conductor of heat. So it stores heat and then gives it back slowly. So the thicker the stone, the more that heat is gonna like, okay, go away, but have reserves to keep giving you. And then we started making, Gnome started kind of like traveling around with me and like apprenticing a little bit with me. And, you know, I, I really liked that he was really, you know, he was into the sourdough stuff. Because when I go on the road now, I like only ever do all natural leavening because it's just, I mean, it's fun for me. I like, first and foremost, I like the flavor. You know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't claim to know anything about anything more than the way that it tastes. And can we just, I want to jump off topic for one second. We're going to come back to this dough in a second. But I do want to ask you about your passion uh, against the potassium bromate, the, the bromated uh, flour, right? That's sure. the, tr the uh, Trump, all Trumps? All what, Trumps is yeah. one of the brands. Yeah, yeah. General Mills. And, and why don't you like that particular style? It's, it's, it's an additive? Yeah, it's like a chemical additive. It's like a ble an oxidizing agent, you know. It's, it's a... You know how like antioxidants are really good for you, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly, uh, oxidizing agents are very bad for you. Okay, it's a carcinogen, and it's um, you know it's illegal in the European Union and uh, India and China and Brazil and. It'll never be used on one of your projects. You can't use it in California. There's oh. like there's no pizza places that use it in California. None of the major chains use it because of that. It's really like New York is one of the last bastions of places in the world that still uses this, and and really. Like, you know, it's like two things. One is it allows you to kind of do things like have a really thin crust or have a really light and fluffy crust without knowing a lot about baking. And then the other thing it does is it allows the millers 
to mill the product, shove this chemical in it, and ship the wheat out. Because all wheat is technically bleached. You know, unless you mill it fresh and th bake it immediately, it's going to oxidize naturally just from the air. Right. So it's going to bleach itself naturally. It's like it goes from this like kind of bone color to like white, uh, depending on the extraction, right? Um, so they love it. The big corporations love it because they can pump this chemical in it and uh, they can just ship it. They don't have to warehouse it anymore. So is there any way for the consumer to find out when they're at a pizza place to ask? Would the guy know or would they be well, able to ask? if you're in California, then the California state law requires you to have a warning label if you're using it. So no one uses it. Okay. Um, if you're in New York, it's going to have it unless it's like a place I consulted on or scars or I don't know. I mean, okay. right. you can ask, but it's not, it's pretty, it's pretty widespread. Okay. Well, let's come back to the dough then. So all natural, you said all natural starter. Yeah, it's, it's all naturally leavened. I mean, Gnome was hanging out with me making pizza, and he was like, I want to do that. And I was like, all right, I mean. Which is so <laughs> tricky for a place this kind of volume, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know. I mean, there's bakeries, and I mean, all bread in the history of mankind was made <laughs> all naturally leavened until right. 300 years ago. Okay. So, like, is it tricky? Yeah, I like, you know, stuff is hard, dude. Like, right. Yeah, like, right. and, you know, my whole strategy is we're going to do everything the absolute hardest way, the best way, and then no one will ever be able to compete with you because they'd be stupid they'd be stupid to try like it's, you know, unless they want to dedicate their lives to pizza, they'll never compete with you. And then will this dough rest longer than normal or one day overnight? I don't really know what normal is, you know. So That's right. So what what, what is your <laughs> like I'm not trained on anything. I never worked at a normal place. What is your instruction to these guys in terms of how long that dough will I ferment? mean, it's constant, you know. I mean, this is like a, I don't just pop in and drop off a recipe and leave. It's like a it's a long-term relationship. So, you know, I mean, I'm I spent uh, you know, 2 weeks here and then popping in and then in constant contact with uh, Gnome and and the crew and just like you know, I mean, it's a, it's a constant, it's a, it's learning, you know, an art form. So there's a recipe and there's methodology. Let's approach the, the case here together. You've got, there's New York slices, uh, large wedges on the bottom and then the squares above. Yeah. So the cheese situation down here, what do you like? Yeah, I mean, this is a plain slice. Let's get, can we get one of these plain slice? A lot of guys, like I know Joe and Pat's in Staten Island, they love grande. A lot of guys like grande from Wisconsin for their mots. Uh, yeah, what's your thought? Yeah. You know, I mean, we tested we test everything. Um, are you loyal to a particular type of cheese? What's that? Are you loyal to a particular brand or? Well, I mean, I like um, I like Bel Belgioso's fresh mots for two reasons. One, I've visited their factory and it's a really amazing place, and they're a really amazing family, and it's family owned and privately owned, and they really are dedicated to the quality. Whereas like Grande and Palio are all like multinational, huge corporations now, and you know, you know what happens yeah. when you get become you start the top pressure from the top to cut. It's not like the old days, you know, when was, these were all Italian American owned businesses, and they were like very, you know, hands on. So Belgiosa still kind of has that, like kind of small feel to it, and I just like the quality of their milk, you know, and so, so this is a combination of Belgiosa. Um, Fresh mots. There's some uh, polio, low moisture, and there's uh, grana padano, and then there is, uh, I believe, a little bit of cacio cavallo. Right, taking a bite of the tip. Nice little fold there. Beautiful undercarriage. Nice little sort of even brown. It's a little bit of blackening. It's 
fat is flavor. So, I mean, a little bit of greasiness is not, is, I'm not mad at it. But yeah, I mean, if you look at this sausage pie over here, it looks really nice, not so, not so greasy. I took a bite of the heel. Um, really good texture. A little bit of crumb in there as well. You want a little bit of that lift, a little bit of crumb in there? Yeah. Look at the chunk of that parm, though. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you don't see a chunk of parm usually on a plain cheese. Yeah, no. I mean, it's this is uh, you know was our interpretation of like what it, what a New York slice could be. And I'm going back for another bite, by the way, while you keep talking. Yeah, yeah. It's like four cheeses on the plain slice. It's kind of crazy. Tell me about the square now. Um, it's got that beautiful burnished frico on the side, reminiscent of, it kind of reminds me of Apollonia in L.A., but like a Detroit style in a way, on a cooling rack like you see in Detroit or you know, Emmy Squared. So like all square pizzas really owe their lineage to Sicilian pizza, you know, and it's just a pan. It's different. You know, the Detroit style is Sicilian pizza. Absolutely. With a, it was just in a, in a different pan. Yeah. And with a, an overnight... Uh, so that pan has become popular. I, I just read the most ridiculous article about Sicilian pizza by some guy named Max Falkowitz. He was saying that, like, this is this big trend, Detroit pizza and all this stuff, and that we owe the lineage that all Americans should be proud of this pizza because it's, it's the doughy pizza that we've loved all, like, crispy and doughy pizza we've loved all along, and that it owes its lineage more to Domino's and pizza. I don't know if Domino's and, you know, Little Caesars paid him to write that article, but... Kind of crazy. It's basically a total erasure of Sicilian history and Sicilian culture. And I think, like, people, they, like, know that New York's, like, square slices are called Sicilian. You know, they know that Detroit, but, like, for somehow, they think they don't, like, they don't think they don't make that connection with Detroit, you know? Or, like, Grandma. Like, but it's, like, it's, it's all, they're all the same thing. My understanding is Sicilian is an overnight proof, and then grandma, there is no overnight. It's like you top it and bake it. That's why it's a, a shorter. As people like you and Max Falkowitz and Ed Levine and these people who apply these rules and terms to things. Like, oh, so it's like, you want to talk to me and like other Sicilian pizza makers, it's like you do something that you saw, you ate growing up, your grandma did. You do it your way, and pizza oven with the pans you got and, the, and it, it's an evolution of things it's not there's no rules to it you know and it's like there's no the codification of like this is this and this is that it all comes later you know but like in chicago we don't have grandma at all and so i was asking you Scott, got grandma you got sicilian grandmas in chicago making grandmas we've got sicilians we've got like, like an the overnight. heart of yeah. italian cooking and italian american cooking is in the homes not the restaurants it always has been but there aren't restaurants, there aren't pizza places marketing, actively marketing grandma-style pizza. They're doing, a few are doing Sicilian. Um, and when I talked to what Scott do you, Wiener... What do you mean? Like, what does that mean to you, well, Sicilian that's what, pizza? That's what I was asking Scott Wiener about. S Sicilian, to me, is dough pressed into an oiled pan, uh, proofed overnight. Uh, like at Damato's, they will actually put cheese and sauce... Cheese, I'm sorry, put the little cheese and then let it proof overnight with the cheese on it and then bake it the next day. Whereas grandma is pressed into the oil pan, topped and baked within a few hours. So it does not have time to rise as much. my Sicilian grandma would find you and Scott Wiener having that conversation to be pretty funny. Okay. Well, we, again, we don't have that shorter grandma style in Chicago. We have a bit higher, like this one that we're looking at here at Upside. Yeah. I mean... So this is a Sicilian pizza with a... But do they always have this frico on the side, or no? This is a... It's like, I mean, that's... The pan, that Sicilian pan, you do that cheese crust. It's delicious. It is delicious. It's, um, again, like, so again, in Chicago, there's a Sicilian place called Domato's. They don't have this cheese crust. Yeah. And they're just as Sicilian as anybody else. 
Right. But that that they I'm, choose. I'm, to, this is what I'm saying. They're all they're all Sicilian in their heritage. You know. Yep. Tell me about one of these squares we'll try here and what's on it. Uh, so there there's just the two squares. They're both. Um, one is cup and char pepperoni. Is that Ezo? Yeah, that's Ezo pepperoni. And the uh, other one is what? This is uh, it's fresh mozzarella and aged mozzarella, and then like a different tomato sauce, like a little more robust tomato sauce. Applied in kind of an angled uh, stripe. Yeah, gnomes will started doing that. I, I I was just kind of splotching it on there. He wanted to put stripes on there. He thinks you know. I guess it looks kind of cool. It does look kind of cool. Probably watched and saw it on Instagram or something. <laughs> I don't know why people do this stuff. You it know? does look cool. It looks beautiful from the side, too. Yeah, man, the cheese crust. Who doesn't want cheese crust? No, I mean inside, too, seeing oh, the crumb. The crumb. Yeah. yeah, that's not easy. That was not easy at all. So tell me about that process. How difficult was it to make that? It was hard, dude. I, like, was not, it was not working very well. And, you know, so I, um, for this particular pizza, you know, I, I hit up John Arena, you know, who's um, a, like a brilliant guy. And, you know, he's kind of a mentor to me, and he's been... You know, for the last three years, he's let me make pizza during the Pizza Expo in his kitchen at Metro Pizza in Vegas. And he's just a, like one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. You know, and he's got Sicilian heritage, too. And he makes probably one of the best Sicilian pizzas I've ever had in my life. And so I was like, I don't know what's happening with this dough. It's like I'm not getting like this big open crumb that I want. And I don't want to use commercial yeast, which I feel like I could do it. It could I could do it easier with that. What was the solution? It was just, it's a multi-pronged solution, you know. Um, you you know, do a lot of trial and error, don't you, in your job? Yeah, dude, it's all trial and error. I have no idea what I'm doing. So let me ask, as we ask everybody on the show, the last question here. Um, what, knowing what you know now, and you certainly have gone through a lot of uh, R&D in your career so far, what would you tell yourself 12 years ago before you'd gone down this path of pizza? What kind of advice would you give yourself before you jumped into this sort of head first? Oh, God, I don't know, man. I don't have any regrets. I mean... I'm just my life is just like one long chain of bad decisions. I'm in a really good place right now and just trying not to make more bad decisions. I mean, that's just part of being older and wiser, you know? It's like that's what people pay me for is all the mistakes that I've made. It's like when people look at, you know, my rates and they say, oh, that's expensive for like a couple of weeks. And it's like, well, if you look at it like a couple of weeks, but if you look at it like 10 years, it's, it's a pretty good deal. And then you, one more follow-up. You do go back to these places once you consult for initially, you said a couple of weeks initially. How often do you have to come back to check on them? Oh, I have annual contracts with all my clients, and they, I'll, the majority of them choose to renew those contracts because, you know, like I said, I'm trying to establish long-term relationships with all my clients because, you know, we're doing everything the hard way, and it's, the goal is to always get better every day, you know? Yeah. Like, we're eating this pizza. Gnome just got here. We'll talk about it. <laughs> See where we can go to make it better, you know? All right. I'm going to try a square, but if you want to contact Anthony Falco, you can find him on Instagram, millennium underscore Falco or Rad Times Pizza. You've got a website too, I take it? Oh, yeah. My website is piz.za.com. Anthony Falco, uh, international pizza consultant. Thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming to New York City. And I'm going to give you his website one more time. It's a little confusing with the spelling. It is www.piz.za.com. And there's information there on how to contact Anthony. 
Uh, and thanks again for meeting me in Midtown. I appreciate it because he had to come quite a ways. And I think he was going to Staten Island after our interview. So a long day for him. All right, coming up in two weeks, a trip out to L.A. to meet the guy behind one of the nation's most beautiful Sicilian squares, specifically the Frico around the edge and the hard work it takes to be an original. You know, as long as you're dedicated to figuring it out, you can make things happen. You know, I, I haven't gone to any one person for an answer. You know, I have my own issues I'm trying to deal with sometimes with Doe, and I know a phone call to someone would, would solve it, but I want to solve my own um, obstacles. In the end, be able to say it's mine. It wasn't a collaboration with someone. I didn't consult with someone. Like, this is truly what I've created. I talked to Justin DeLeon, the owner of Apollonia's Pizza, and learned some of the secrets behind his one-of-a-kind Angelino Squares. That's in two weeks on August 2nd. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and please review us. We're at Pizza City USA on Instagram, but on Twitter, it's at Pizza City Tours. And speaking of tours, take one the next time you're in Chicago. More information about those and how to get my book at PizzaCityUSA.com or just yell at me on social media at Steve Dolinsky. That's with a Y. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song, and next time you're in Chicago, check out Revival Food Hall in the Loop, where Pat's Pizza, one of the best tavern-style pies around, currently selling its one-of-a-kind thin, Chicago-thin tavern, we call it, bar pies. Thanks for listening, everybody, and remember, optimal bite ratio, always.